Speaking of reliability, a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics. Welcome to Speaking of Reliability. This is Fred Schenkelberg. And this is Chris Jackson. What what are we talking about now, Fred? Well, that's kind of what the question was that I got the other day, is is talking Mm -hmm. to somebody about a potential project, and, and, and they... Their basic question, the presenting question was, is how do we create awareness of reliability, you know, considerations when we design products? And I thought, hmm, that's a good question. And what they were asking for was, well, could you just do a simple webinar, you know, and we'll we'll do it once. And if anybody's interested, then maybe we'll talk to you again. And uh, hmm, I don't know that that's actually going to be useful is unless there's a whole lot of other discussions from you and your rest of your management team that this is now important just talking about it from some guy with a beard from far away to say it's important is probably not going to cut it and and it's like well what else are you doing to make this work and it's like well we do lots of training on different things you know next month we're talking about bearings or whatever it was they're talking about and like why am I bothering? <laughs> if you the likelihood of you getting this outcome that you want is really, really, really low. Um, and but that so they brought up to me is the question to ask you about is well, how do you in an organization, any organization, how do you create awareness of reliability considerations and and make it stick, make it actually make a difference. If you want people to actually change behaviors, what's what's an approach that works? Right. Well, obviously it's ask Fred for a, do a webinar, right? That's not your first answer. <laughs> well, I mean, I think the issue is not necessarily awareness. It's more motivation. Um, because if you're motivated, you people are motivated to do something automatically you just get out of the way. They'll go do it. Yeah, but if they're, if they're motivated to do anything, like if you're motivated to build a fire pit in your backyard, so I really want to have a fire pit. I want to have it's, it's what I actually did. Because I've got a lot of river rocks around, and I said, you know what, that would look really cool in a fire pit. I better, do some, better become aware of how to build a fire pit with river rocks, and you can't just use river rocks in a fire pit because they often have a lot of water yeah, in, and contained crack. inside them. Yeah, yep, so you need... So you need to get fire bricks. And okay, I learned about fire bricks. Okay. And then obviously YouTube this. Oh, that's a pretty I like the way that dude's done that fire pit. I'm gonna go buy some fire bricks and mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna put in, I'm gonna make sure it lasts. And I build a, a a ring on the bottom with some very thin uh, wood as essentially the molds for the concrete with a single piece of rebar, blah, 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 blah. So before I did that, I had no idea about how to build a fire pit, at least in that regard. But I was mm-hmm. motivated to do it because I wanted to have a fire pit. The reality is you can be as aware as anybody else about stuff. I mean, there's guys out there, no doubt, who are really good at building fire pits but don't have a fire pit in their backyard because they're just not motivated to do it. So it's always the motivation. Um, So on that note, the success I've had in organizations haven't been more about awareness. It's more about, hey, reliability engineering solves so many more problems than failure in the hands of your customer. Um, you know, we, the webinar I did, 10 Reasons to Reliability, we talk about how 
Hewlett-Packard in the 1980s not only made their things more reliable, but they were able to reduce the recommended retail price of their products, even though they're more reliable, because they're putting out fewer fires during production. They maintenance costs for certain products went down by 35% because they're failing less often. Yeah. Um, time to market for several, like an oscillator, the time to market imp- increased by 16% and it was more reliable. Sorry, the time to, improved by 16%, yeah. as in the time to market went down by 16%. Yeah. No, I mean, they had one advantage after another. Plus, there was just the the improvement of the engineers could do engineering stuff and not have to jump through hoops on the Friday afternoon before production started. They didn't. Mm-hmm. There wasn't firefighting. There was a product got launched and it stayed launched. Yep. <laughs> you didn't have to go work on it again to fix it. It just worked. Although some people do like that. They like being the firefighter and they get promoted and stuff like that. There was still some of that going on. Yet the oh, idea yeah. was, is that, yeah, I, you, you're 10 ways or 10 reasons to do MT, or to yeah, do MTBF, to do reliability, you know, touched on all these different benefits that of what's in it for them, what's in it for the director of engineering, what's in it for the design engineer, what's in it mm-hmm. for the production manager, what's in it. It touched on so many different ways that if you actually consider reliability, it's great. And and so it helped create an argument for the for the team, the who's setting the priorities to say, oh, we're going to consider reliability. We're going to pay attention to it. But if I'm, you know, an electrical engineer and my boss is only saying, get it done on time, it's time to market, time to market, time to market. That's all I'm going to hear. Mm-hmm. And my bonus is based on time to market. My reward system is based on time to market. The boss only cares about time to market. If I do anything that delays that or even perceptively possibly might maybe delay it, then don't do it. If that if the environment doesn't support it, then you're kind of screwed. Yeah, I hear. So I'm thinking is, you know, they, so what do you do for, about reliability now? Well, we don't pay much attention to it. This is, well, I don't think a webinar for your engineers is going to change that. How about an uh, uh, engine, uh, uh, one for your management team? Oh, no, no. They already have their goals and targets and, you know, time to market things and uh-huh. priorities and stuff I'm like, well, you know, that's just kind of, it's going to be an hour of wasted time across all the people that are watching this webinar because they're going to go back to work and their boss is going to say, don't do any of that. That's going to be in charge in the way of what we want to do. Right. You know, kind of phrased it that way. And it's like, yeah, you kind of have to fix what this think the system here is that motivation has to actually be supported. I mean, it's uh, I had that um, syndrome a lot in the courses I do where you have um, people who, who come on the course say, how do I make this happen? And we'll go, well, because your actual, the reliability metric that matters is um, is based on availability, right? Because of that. Mm-hmm. And because your contract is all about MTBF and nothing to do with downtime or um, uh, MTBF has, help doesn't give you any guidance or sort of have any relation to things that you service where you've replaced things before they fail um because you are you are sort of contractually or culturally bound to these metrics over here you can't ever possibly achieve 
the good outcomes your customer wants because they're focused on availability, for example. Mm-hmm. But but you keep telling your decision makers, and the most important decision maker in any organization is the typically junior staff who are the ones designing those hydraulic pumps and selecting the lubrication, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They are being told to work towards or worship MTBF and that's it. And they're doing a pretty good job at that. But the problem is it's got nothing to do with what you're trying to do, what you're trying to actually achieve. Yeah. Right. And so a lot of of my students often go sort of back to their home with their towel between their legs because they realize, oh, I can't, I can't make anyone happy. And that of itself is not always a bad thing because, you know, if there's a, if you've got a boss or a manager who's, who's willing to, to listen, then there is some good that comes from that. But you, you can't, if, if your boss keeps telling you to fix problem A, where the problem that needs to be fixed is problem B, then you're done. It's, it's not it's tr- not trying it's not even bother learning a single equation you're just done culturally you're done um well so. then the, you always take, like my career is full of situations where i just go solve problem b and ignore problem a and say all right we got the result that works here you know go away if you don't agree with me next time you re- remember i did it right the first time you know and, and sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't but i would you know I, I know what needs to be done. I'm just going to go do that. And luckily for me, more often than not, it worked out um, to the chagrin of some people that really should have known better. It, that's a risk. Not everybody wants to take a risk like that um, in organizations. And it's, you try you make the case, you make the argument. And a lot of times I, I would win those arguments going, look, mm-hmm. you know, we're really about availability here. It's get off of trying to make it so perfect you never have to maintain it it requires maintenance you, you know here's the reason blah 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 right let's let's look at it this way and it's, it's sometimes you win those battles and sometimes you don't uh, but uh, i i have gone skunk works more often than i can count to, yeah. to to get the data the information the details i need to say yeah this is the way you do it i mean a really good example is an i've worked organizations who who demand the same approach for a single component, they, a particular approach, I should say. Mm-hmm. They demand that we assess the reliability of that component using the MTBF. And two, that component has to have a some form of condition-based mon- uh, maintenance regime uh, uh, applied to it. You go, okay. So if you have a CBM approach where you have, like for, exen- for example, a sensor which measures the amount of damage that accumulates in that thing, and the idea is that once that damage hits some sort of philosophical threshold based on an understanding of how it's going to fail, you mm-hmm. do something about it. Yep. So you maximize the service life of that component. You don't replace it early, i.e. throwing away a good component that still had some something to give. And you don't wait for it to fail and cause all right. that downtime you didn't want. Right. So the MTBF is essentially meaningless now. Yes. The, the MTBF means nothing. Um, you can have an MTBF for something that wears in, be exactly the same as the MTBF for something that wears out, which can be exactly the same as another MTBF for something that wears out in a different way. And so all you're interested in that for that component is how long on average will it take before the damage hits my threshold which triggers some sort of action that's the only metric that matters now mm-hmm. which is not 
MTBF. Yeah. But you you are asking people to select components and prioritize ones over one ones over the other based on the MTBF. But your condition condition based maintenance regime is supposed to prevent that thing from ever failing. So insert amazement here. It's just it, the, <laughs> the the issue is that the it starts at the higher level where they're asking you to solve problem A, where the actual problem that needs to be solved is problem B. Yeah. You know, when I'm, I, I know I've told this story many, many times is that this young engineer showed up at my desk and she asked, you know, so my boss said, I have to come talk to you. And uh, okay. okay, why? And she says, well, I found this other vendor that makes this component uh, for a nickel less. And we use a lot of these components in these servers and that'll save us, you know, $50,000 a year or whatever the number was. I said, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So why are you talking to me? He says, I don't know. Who are you? She's like, I don't know why I'm here. And so I'm a reliability guy. Do you have the data sheets? Oh yeah, I do. Okay. And the cheaper part had a lower uh, or a higher failure rate advertised for it. And I says, oh, well, yeah. let's do a quick calculation. How many units do you guys ship? How much does it cost when they fail? And she had to call somebody to find out how much it cost when they failed. That wasn't in her bit, you know, walking knowledge at all. She was out to buy parts that are cheaper and negotiate lower prices. That's what she did. And she was good at it. And and uh, I said, all right, well, who's your boss? Well, he's the program manager. You know, and I go, oh, okay. And so we ran out the numbers and it says, oh, okay. So you save $50,000 a year, but we spend a half million dollars in returns and failures. Um, and she just kind of got pale and looked at me and I'm like, do you want to tell your boss or should I? And she was heartbroken. This was, she was tr- brought up and trained to go get, you know, same form, fit and function, but lower price and completely oblivious to the impact on reliability. That was not part of their system. And the awareness part there was that simple calculation, just what's the cost of a failure and how does that balance out? And that's what your program manager was looking at. And, and I, I didn't, I don't know why the program manager cared because they were not bound by warranty. They weren't impacted by this, but I think they had, we used to call it the big hat. They considered all of the ramifications and, you know, the, the big picture of this is going to cost the company or the organization or somebody in our team part of their budget. If we don't, if we spend more money on warranty than we should, then it's an expense, even though it didn't come out of their development budget one way or the other directly. And so anyway, they, she kind of went away and, and they didn't get that part. And then she came back a couple of days later and says, well, I found this other part that is more expensive, which is kind of the opposite of what I'd ever want to do or been trained to do or taught to do. Uh, but the, the failure rate looks really good. Well, you remember the calculations is, yeah, I did it. And it showed that, you know, we spend 50 cents instead of a nickel and we save, I don't know, it was like a quarter million dollars. And lower mm-hmm. failure rate. Right. Now you're thinking, <laughs> you know, uh, critical thinking. Yeah, and it was just the a, a simple short discussion, and sometimes that's all it took. Now, if and I ran into plenty of procurement organizations that I tend to pick on them in most organizations, is that their bonuses were based on the, the senior managers and the seniors in the procurement organizations, which oversaw uh, 
a large part of a cost of any product was the part, the cost of all the components that went into it and all the parts that were in it. And so they were usually charged with reduce the cost and they would get a bonus based on achieving that objective. Unfortunately, most of the time in, in, in the organization I was in is they did not have the counter um, or the balancing measure of, well, what's the impact on warranty? And mm -hmm. so we made a pitch to get that changed and it got changed across the corporation. And all of a sudden procurement organizations were shopping for reliable components because the net savings overall to the organization was swamped by actually make buying reliable components. So they all got versed in process control and looking at the technology and what made it work or not work in our applications. So they started becoming quasi reliability engineers. And so that we got asked to do lots and lots of training for their teams. So how do you ask questions to know if it's reliable or not? Well, first off, don't look at the data sheet. <laughs> Yeah, but that was, but you know, it it created awareness because it changed the motivation, right? And and it was informal in that first example, and then we made it more institutional. And it it just turned out that one of the very senior presidents of the company, and one of the five presidents of the company, I should say, that all worked for the CEO, started his career as a reliability engineer. So he's like, oh. Well, that makes sense. Let's do that. And got it through the 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 bureaucracy that he had to deal with and made it happen. Mm -hmm. And it was like, cool. <laughs> it's like once we showed him how much money was being lost, like, oh, I can that's a problem I can solve. And right. he did. It's just uh goes goes to show how it just often just starts and stops at the leadership level sometimes. Well, sometimes it does, but what I've also found is that within an organization, within a small team, and one of them, I, I know I tell this story often, is they were suffering, losing their market share, their, their, and it was a limited pool of customers. They were selling a medical device into distributors that would rent it out to the patients when they were prescribed some particular device to be installed at their home. And mm -hmm. there's not that many companies that do that. And All they right. were quickly getting a reputation of, well, we have to roll a truck out and replace your unit, you know, way more often than anybody else. We're just not going to rent, you know, buy your equipment and make it available to us. It's costing us money. And so they, that division of that organization said, oh, we got to get serious about this. And so we, they did a bunch of really cool stuff. They, they bought their competitor's stuff and they were like, well, how are they putting brass there? We're using <laughs> this cheap plastic. Well, <laughs> Yep. let's look at where your parts fail a lot and you know theirs are being perceived as better for their customers you might so they ended up with like 20 things during a teardown going hmm we cheaped out on that part and that part and that part so maybe that makes a difference uh yeah you know and a handful of other things they did that and they turned it around in a couple of years they were the sought after one they had to expand uh -huh. their production facility Yet Funny it took that. that division management team to go, you know, we're losing market share because of reliability. We actually need to pay attention to this. And then it's started. Oh. One of the things that you and I differ on a lot is I, 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 I ascribe a lot more issues to management than I think you do. I think you're you're more of a- Bottoms um, up, you know, just yeah, the rebel in the, in the crowd, make it happen. 
And I, I mean, there are times and places where that works, but even then you need to have a management team who's open to the yeah. skunk works, you know, rebel yeah. and respect. Hey, this, this dude has kicked some goals. I mean, it feels to me like, I mean, for whatever reason, our organizations always use the MTBF or MIL standard 217, whatever. Um, and, you know, I get my bonus every Christmas, but you know what? This guy seems to be knowing, seems to know what he's talking about. He's doing this. He's, you know, most biographies are written about engineers who have that mindset. I mean, the ones who clock in every day, you don't see them, you know, being the CEO of too many Fortune 500 companies nor having podcasts or having autobiographies written. It's the ones who are sort of a bit of a trailblazing spirit, to have a trailblazing spirit, I should say. Um, they're the ones who sort of make the world a better place, so to speak. You still need a boss who's going to be open to you running amok a little bit. Um, and so even then, when you talk about the bottoms-up approach, you still need to have a leadership who's open to new ideas. And too many organizations I've come across simply are not that organization because they just don't have those attitudes higher up. Yep. Like bureaucracy wins every single time. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. It, and it, I agree is I generally always had cover. Um, somebody yeah. say, Oh, Fred's being Fred. I, I, I hear that a lot. Uh, <laughs> the idea is, is that you need to, you know, if you don't try, you never know. If, yeah. if you can't find a champion, well, go find a different place in the organization to work or different organizations. Kind of my thought on it. Mm -hmm. It's, um, I've landed in jobs that I was like, what in the world am I going to do? The bureaucracy is ungodly and this, that, and the other thing. And I just, you know, go make the job better. I had one mm -hmm. boss that he said, you do a great job on things you're motivated to do. And if I ask you to do something that you're not interested in, it doesn't happen. And he says, but you do these other things so well, I can't fault you for it. <laughs> it's like, sorry, boss. <laughs> that was my exit interview. He was kind of like, you're so frustrating. I'm like, well, sorry. Bye. <laughs> it's leadership, isn't it? To motivate people. I mean, but that's, that's yeah. true. If you're motivated to do something, you do a much better job. Yeah. I mean, if I'm not motivated, if I am required to build a fire pit for somebody else and I'm not motivated to do it, it's my fire, my fire pit is magnificent, by the way. Yeah. It's a uh, little girl. It's not close I, to the, uh, to the, Ice skating rink, is it? No, no, it's not. But um, okay. it's got four air holes at the bottom so the air can be sucked in. It's got, you know, white pebbles underneath the actual burning part of the pit. Um, but if I was required to do it for somebody else, you know, for whatever reason, I owed somebody a favor. Can you build me a fire pit? Oh, yeah, okay, sure. And then we'll call it even. Yeah. I mean, even I consider myself relatively professional and that I'll take things seriously, but there's no way known I would have poured the effort into their fire pit, even considering you know myself to be reasonably professional, that I would have what I did for mine, I should say, mm -hmm. um, because I was motivated, because it's something I wanted to do for me. And even people who you'd call professional, as in ethical or philosophically, have you know and have integrity yeah driven to do a good job do the best they can you know kinds of things but if it's not something that inherently motivates that person it's just not going to get you're not going to get the same result and so that's why half of the silicon 
Valley Industries are able to attract top talent because the technologies they're espousing from day one have been inherently motivating to a bunch of young engineers and programmers and coders and everything else. Um, we know some places don't have aren't necessarily as fun to work out in terms of work hours and a few other things, but you get people turning up because it's inherent the technology is inherently motivating. Steve Jobs, you know, several biographies about him, which prove beyond any shadow of a doubt the man was 90% jerk. But he had a vision which was a technology that is actually inherently interesting to a bunch of people. And the dude had a vision that was ruthlessly enforced in a good way and that was inherently motivating because people were actually producing products that went beyond their wildest expectation of what the art of the possible should say they can do that of mm -hmm. itself is inherently motivating but the dude was hard to work for let's just say that that's the kind of things that we can say yeah yeah no i agree it's so back to the original question is how do i motivate it and as well it's there's there's a role for just teaching and bringing up awareness and, and, and talking through terms and how this fits together. Yet. I think you nailed it right out at the start. It's, it's not about awareness. It's about motivation. What's in it for that team? What's in it for that team's management group? What's in it for your stakeholders across the organization? If that catches hold in enough places and you know, say one of the divisions or one product development team goes, oh, we're going to pay attention to this and see what happens. And they get way better results and it's a better place to work. And everybody else is looking at it going, wow, what'd they do? That starts the process. It, but you're right. If it just gets hammered right at the start going, well, don't pay attention to that. That's just Fred talking about reliability, but we're focused on time to market because that's where the money is. And make it reliable. Hmm. It, if, if it fails, you'll be fired or, or whatever bad thing. That's right. Bad threat we're going to insert in this particular tie rate. Yeah, but we hire good engineers, so you don't do that. But oh, by the way, you only get three days to do what you said takes three months. And so, all right, let's, let's try it this way. But anyway, it's it's it really is about motivation and within the structures of the organization. And and sometimes that comes right from your customer. Sometimes it's from your your leadership team. Sometimes it's internal. But wherever that motivation comes from, it's then go learn the reliability aspects that make a difference for you. And there's plenty of sources for that. Um, so yeah, it's going to be a, a interesting how they go about. Um, fitting this into their awareness program so we'll see what i can do but <laughs> if they ever talk to me again because they <laughs> basically said well that's kind of a waste of time yeah but that happens but anyway hopefully this short discussion motivated you to go out there and do some cool reliability stuff and make a difference but if you're running into challenges or or obstacles and so on i'd like to hear about those too maybe we could come up with you know 10 ways to overcome obstacles or something like that um head over to ascendoreliability.com slash go slash uh sor and there's a couple of ways to get in touch with us there did i get that address right I'm going to say yes. Okay. Yeah. Go slash SOR. Um, Chris and I and the other hosts of the show are available through LinkedIn and our about pages and plenty of ways for you to get in touch. So as always, we look forward to hearing from you one way or the other. And if you've got a uh, an 
concept or an idea or an obstacle or a project or whatever, uh, we'll, we'll probably give you some advice from our own experience, hopefully mm -hmm. make a difference for you. And then we'll generalize it and probably talk about it so others can learn from it. But um, that could happen. Um, so that, Chris, uh, I know it's coming up on fall. Did you got your ice rink out yet? Or is that? Not yet. Uh, no, no. Uh, you got the fire pit. You, you're going to enjoy that well into the fall, I'm sure. Well, it's raining a fair bit, so it's making it hard to enjoy fire pits these days. But no, oh, no, yeah, the. Uh, that happens. Well, the, if I put it up now, the grass will die. So it's still enough for, for it to, uh, still warm enough for the grass to uh, to die. It needs to be cold enough for the grass to hibernate. Oh, go dormant. Yeah. Yep. So. All right. Well, timing, time, a little bit of everything there. All right. Absolutely. Well, good luck with that. And and hopefully all of the requests that come back in from this episode are not, hey, Chris, can you send us the plans for that fire pit? And if you live close, can you come out to here, Jackson, Mississippi, and make me a fire pit? You know, yeah, you might not end happening. up with a new business here. It's all about motivation. And it's not there. It's not my it's backyard. Not so. not going to happen. <laughs> all right. Talk to you later, Chris. Enjoy. Cheers, Red. See ya. Thanks for listening to Speaking of Reliability. We invite you to join the conversation if you have a question or a topic that you think we should discuss in a future show, please let us know. You can find a comment box below the episode show notes or just leave a note as part of a review on iTunes. <laughs>